I'm Leslie Marshall. Sorry I'm not as loud and, uh, oh, I don't know, gregarious as normal. Uh, my throat has really been killing me. I've been overdoing it with the election, but I didn't want to miss work today because we have some great guests and, of course, your calls at 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Our second guest in this hour is David K. Johnston. David is an investigative journalist. He's also winner of a 2001 Pulitzer Prize for his innovative coverage of taxes. Now, he's been a longtime reporter for The New York Times and former president of Investigative Reports and Editors, IRE. Also, he's author of the New York Times bestsellers, Perfectly Legal and Free Lunch. His most recent book, The Making of Donald Trump, also on the New York Times bestseller list. You can get it at Amazon.com. An honor to have David K. Johnston in the house, author of this new book, The Making of Donald Trump. David, good afternoon. Welcome, and thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for having me on, Leslie. First of all, why did you decide to write this book? There have been a lot of crazy books uh, written about the making of Donald Trump, and certainly not all, if any, are on uh, the New York Times uh, bestseller list. But uh, tell, tell us, was it just you had so much to say about this guy or were curious what makes Donald Trump who he is? Well, I was very disappointed in the coverage of Trump and his campaign by my peers in national journalism, including the paper I'm retired from now, the New York Times. Um, I wrote a piece in July of 2015 called 21 Questions for Donald Trump that reporters should be asking. Nobody asked about these, and these go to Donald Trump's lifelong, close, and often gratuitous embrace of Russian mobsters, American mobsters, con artists, swindlers, and a um, major cocaine trafficker who supplied him with his helicopters and managed his personal helicopter. And none of this was being discussed. So uh, the, the reason to do this book was to draw on my 28 years of knowing Trump, and I have a, what's probably the largest private collection of Trump documents. Maybe the Washington Post is larger now than I am because they had a number of reporters working together, um, but they kept coming to me for documents. So, But I just felt Americans were not, understanding because the news media wasn't doing its job that the candidate being sold to them and the person Donald Trump are not at all the same. Okay, we're going to talk about that more. We're going to take a quick break. That's our shortest segment in the hour. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with author of The Making of Donald Trump. It's on the New York Times bestseller list. Get your copy now, Amazon.com. David K. Johnston's in the House, investigative journalist, winner of the 2001 Pulitzer Prize for his innovative coverage of taxes. We're going to talk a bit about taxes. Donald, that upper 1% and more right after this. Don't go away. We're back. David K. Johnston is our guest. He's author of The Making of Donald Trump. He's also on the New York Times bestseller list. You can get it at Amazon.com. We'll take your calls in a little bit. 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. David, a couple of things. First, you left us with an awesome cliffhanger uh, at the end of the last break going into uh, this segment. You know, the WikiLeak email dump with regard to Secretary Clinton and her staff had referred to an alleged a private and uh, public situation. She was talking about energy. She was talking to somebody in Brazil. But just taking that public and private, are you saying in a sense that that's what, you know, we're getting, that there are two different people, the candidate of Donald Trump and then the businessman, the real person of Donald Trump? Well, in Trump's case, you're getting it in extreme form. Uh, I mean, Donald Trump, you know, there's a reason that Donald Trump is a party to more than 4,500 lawsuits, most of them brought against him. 
by workers he wouldn't pay, by small businesses who delivered the goods or services and he used them but he wouldn't pay, and by people who invested in various Trump properties and then discovered they had been swindled. And in one case, Trump testified under oath to people who'd lost a case brought by people who lost over $20 million. In effect, I'm not quoting his direct words there in the book, but he said, in effect, well, you should consider yourself lucky. I mean, if we'd gone further with this project, which failed, you would have lost $60 million. You only lost your one-third deposit, so you should be happy. He, by the way, got paid under a deal that whether the project succeeded or failed, he was paid. Yeah, always take care care of yourself, right? Um, that's, That's the fundamental principle. I don't think most people know also that in Atlantic City, Donald Trump never had one dollar invested. It was all, he borrowed money with fees and uh, other money took it, taken off the top by him. His first famous project, the Grand Hyatt Hotel in New York, all borrowed money, $102 million of borrowed money, and he collected welfare of over $400 million. In, in, your, in your book, you take the full story. I mean, you start out with Donald uh, as a child uh, from Queens, a nice quiet area of Queens uh, in New York. And then you talk about the man who he has become today, who we see many of us uh, know as Donald Trump. Uh, great media savvy, certainly a spirit of entrepreneurship, uh, has clout politically, did even before running. And you talk about how in the book, how his career has been plagued by legal troubles, how his career has been plagued by mounting controversy. So you're probably not surprised at all at some things that are being uncovered um, about Trump University um, or about his dealings in Atlantic City and in other um, entrepreneurial real estate ventures or um, even with his Trump Foundation, correct? Correct. Um, You know, I I covered him back in the late 80s and early 90s when I was the Atlantic City Bureau Chief for the Philadelphia Inquirer, and I'm the one who broke the story that he was not a billionaire back then. And so, to me, this is not news, and I understand where Donald comes from. Donald's father, who was a very industrious, hardworking guy, uh, and created a large fortune, had a business partner who was a front for the Genovese and Gambino crime families. Donald, his whole life, has done business with mobsters, mafia, um, Russian mobsters, etc. When other developers in New York went to the FBI and said, please rid us of the mafia, Donald Trump ran to the mafia to do business with them. And this has gone on through his whole life. And the Trump University, which was not a university in either the dictionary meaning of an institution with many areas of higher order learning, nor the legal definition, which in every state that I know of, you can't call yourself a university without the permission of the state government, was neither. It was a scam in which people were encouraged and shown how to take out $35,000 of credit card debt to pay Donald Trump. The advice that they got was was a bad advice according to the state of Texas. One thing, Donald Trump's secret borrowing information, I found it on the Internet for free, and he said the faculty would be handpicked by him and they would be the best of the best. In fact, he said you would get a better education from Trump University than the best business schools. Well, he never was able under oath to name any of the faculty who included a fast food manager and a bunch of people with a high school education and no experience in real estate. A scam from day one. 
when we look at a couple of things, one, you said, you know, you reported years ago that he wasn't a billionaire. In your opinion, or maybe you even have more than an opinion, is Donald Trump a billionaire now? And if not, is that one of the reasons or the only reason he won't release those darn tax returns? Well, there is no evidence that you can verify anywhere at any time that Donald Trump is a billionaire. And it's important to know that when under oath, he had to answer questions about his wealth. He said the way he determines his net wealth is unique. Uh, you and I and the people listening probably say, well, you know, I own a house and I own this or that in my retirement account, and I owe the banks this much, and the difference is my net worth. Donald Trump said his net worth is determined based on his emotions and his feelings, and the lawyer pursued this to make sure it wasn't just a, a slip of the tongue. He repeated and reiterated this, and it explains why in a single day Trump has said to people he's worth uh, one number and then another number that's more than a billion dollars difference. Uh, and, and the underlying message there is Donald Trump's a wealthy man, but when it comes to everything else, he just makes it up. And we're never going to see Donald Trump's tax returns. Uh, we, had, we know some things about them that I've written about. We know there's badges of fraud in his 1984 tax return because his tax guy had to testify about it under oath, and he disowned the return, saying, that's my signature, but I didn't prepare that return, which showed zero income from a consulting business and over $600,000 of expenses for which no receipts or other evidence existed. We know Donald Trump participated in sales tax fraud. He had to testify about it under oath. And the mayor of New York, Ed Koch, said he should have gone to jail for 15 days. But there's no evidence, uh, Leslie, and there never has been, that you can verify that Donald Trump is a billionaire. To live his lifestyle, you would need an income, assuming you're not paying taxes. And I think he's pretty much confirmed that I've been correct all along, saying he hasn't paid taxes since 1977. Um, you would need an income of about $20 million a year. Well, the three pages of tax material that were sent to the New York Times and the New York Daily News show his income to be about $19.5 million. Certainly a lot of money, but not in the billionaire class. And with regard to his life, you know, you have covered this guy. He has a massive influence, right? That, that you know, certainly is undeniable. Well, oh, sure. And he's a household name, and, and I admire his skill at making himself into a brand. When he first announced his run, I'm a Democrat, and there were people that said to me, this is a joke, right? And I said, no, 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 don't discount him, because one, he's got that personality. Two, we are definitely in love with celebrity in America. And three, name recognition is huge, as Donald Trump would say. I live in California, where Arnold Schwarzenegger became our governor, which I thought was a joke when he said he was going to run. Are, are, were you not surprised that he, became the primary, uh, that he became the primary winner and the GOP nominee for president? Well, the day that he announced, I was the only national-level journalist who said he's serious this time. And I understand why he was dismissed by a lot of people, Leslie. Four years ago when he ran, and remember, he's been talking about running and running and fringe party and whatnot since 1985. Four years ago, he said, oh, you know, um, I, much as the country needs me to be president, I, I'm going to drop out of the race because my television show needs me which proved what Lawrence O'Donnell and I had independently concluded, that he was running for a new contract for his TV show with, with NBC. This time around, I knew that he was in real danger. His show would be canceled for falling ratings. And to Donald Trump, having the New York Post and Daily News cover stories be, NBC to Trump, you're fired, would be just absolutely devastating to him. Um, so uh, this time, Trump 
was in this, I, I thought, seriously, and I figured if, if he didn't win, he would uh, find himself a new television show, and if he did win, then we were going to face all sorts of problems because Donald Trump has no idea. You just listen to his own speeches. He has yep. no idea what the job of President of the United States is or how the Constitution works. He talks like a dictator. And, and not only that, doesn't play nice with others. I don't think he understands, like you said, that you know you, you can't be a dictator. I don't think he understands the job. Do you think, having covered this man for 30 years, that he wants the job? Does he want the job, oh. or does he just want the victory and to win? You, it's the second part. What's, Donald is all about you know, winning. And so what is the biggest win in the world? Uh, when I, I talked to German television, which has interviewed me repeatedly, and Austrian television and whatnot. You know, they, they all immediately get, oh, this man doesn't want to be president. He wants to win election as president. And Donald has said he would appoint someone else to do the job of, of being president. And so... That's not surprising. By the way, you know, he he and even Arnold Schwarzenegger, they're not the first people to run as celebrities. Back in the 1960s, when I was uh, in high school in California, in Santa Cruz, California, we had a fellow whose name is escaping me at the moment, uh, who was the song and dance man and a bunch of... Sonny Bono. Sonny Bono. Hmm? Sonny Bono. No, 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 no. I think it was George Murphy who'd been a, you know, he was like a, a lower rent Fred Astaire, and he got a Senate seat. And it was on his name recognition. This was in the mid-60s. Yeah, that would be the, yeah, Sonny Bono was not in the mid-60s. That was later. No. But you're right. We have, you know, we have had personalities. Uh, uh, terrible. I think his name is Fred Grandy, uh, who was a gopher on the yep. love boat, right? Um, and yeah. he was elected in Iowa. Yep. Yep. Very true. Um when you have covered this guy, you've covered this guy uh, for you know nearly three decades. Obviously, a lot of that part of his life was spent uh, in real estate. Your book talks about his business practices. Your book talks about his creative accounting. When we started this interview, you talk about how your fellow peers haven't covered this. We have an election November 8th. Should everybody out there undecided, which I don't believe there are many left, um, who's voting for Trump, or even if they're voting for Hillary, read this so that they get those questions answered that weren't asked and tell us some of those questions that should have been asked by your journalist peers. Well, I mean, I hope so, and I hope people also read books about Hillary Clinton. I close my book by saying, after you've read all this about Donald Trump uh, going out of his way and risking everything for a major cocaine trafficker that makes, in, under terms that make no sense unless he was in business with this guy, um, how he put the life of a, a sickly infant, his own grandnephew, in jeopardy, and then said, well, what else could I do? Uh, it was over money. Um, if you still want to vote for him, vote for him. But know who you're voting for. And likewise, you know there are there are a lot of not good books about uh, Hillary Clinton, but there's some excellent books about who she is. There's two by a professor in North Carolina about the Clintons' marriage. They're actually quite revealing. And I say you should read books about them too. But we should know who we're voting for. And in this election cycle, we haven't had the proper vetting of the candidates. You know, I know the names from reading news accounts of kids that Barack Obama went to school with as a grammar school student in Indonesia, in high school in Hawaii, kids he smoked dope with in high school in Hawaii when he was smoking grass, uh, women he, he asked out and dated in, in New York City and in Boston. Uh, we know all those things because there was a solid job of vetting that candidate, as with Mitt Romney and other people. Donald Trump hasn't been properly vetted, partly because news budgets are just shrinking like crazy. I mean, Gannett today announced the biggest newspaper chain in the country, another round of, of job layoffs. 
do you, when you talk about vetting, hasn't Donald Trump put forth enough information, like, you know, uh, comments about a woman's uh, genitalia, for example, uh, that have put forth the vetting, uh, you know, automatically to the American people, the American voter? And it hasn't seemed really for most Trump supporters to uh, matter. When you look at the polls, uh, the, you know, 74% of those supporting Donald Trump were offended by it, but, you know, only about 10 or 12% of those said they wouldn't vote for him after that. Well, I think that, yes, Donald Trump has told us a lot about his character, and, and Donald Trump at his core, there is no moral core to Donald Trump. You know, there are people you meet in life who are moral, people who are amoral, people who are immoral. Uh, Donald Trump is non-moral. There's nothing there inside about him uh, that has to do with, with morality at all. But people don't see the larger context of when he talks about women the way that he does. They don't know, unless they've read my book, that Donald Trump, as a middle-aged man, planted national news stories. He got an NBC National News with these claims that Madonna and Kim Bassinger and Carla Bruni were his lovers. They weren't. He made it up. The chapter is called Imaginary Lovers, and how on Howard Stern's radio show, when he was offered the opportunity in his mid-60s, 20 years later, to clear the record when Carla Bruni became the first lady of France, he doubled down on it. And I don't think people realize how much of Donald Trump is just reality he creates. It's not, there's no facts behind it, and he just makes stuff up, and he's done this his whole life. It's why he could, in a single day, tell me he was worth one day $3 billion, and then go tell uh, Nancy Collins of ABC News that he was worth $5 billion. Nobody's net worth changes by $2 billion in one day. If you were advising whether somebody from your former employer, the New York Times, or others to ask uh, some questions that you would like to hear asked of Donald Trump, whether it be for vetting purposes or you know just to get information, um, what what are some of the questions you you would ask him or have others and wish others around you would have asked? Well, I think the most important ones are: Why did you employ the twice convicted felon and mob associate Joseph Wexelbaum to maintain your helicopter to provide you with helicopters for your casinos and maintain your personal helicopter? Why, when he was indicted as a major cocaine and marijuana trafficker, and I mean a very major one, did you not fire him and keep him? Why did you write a letter pleading for him to get mercy in a short sentence? What do you know about how his case was moved, which neither the prosecution, the federal government, nor the defense can explain, from Cincinnati, Ohio, to the courtroom of your sister in New Jersey, Judge Marianne Trump Berry? Why did you write a letter, why did you deny writing a letter pleading for mercy for Joe Wexelbaum, and then when shown the letter, fess up and admit the truth that you wrote it, but claim, you know, I I signed it, I I don't remember it. What was your relationship with Joseph Wexelbaum, and when he got out, why did he go back to work for you, and since he said he had no money to pay his federal fines as a drug trafficker, why, how was he able to move into a multi-million dollar apartment in Trump Tower? I mean, that, that's the really the most important thing to get at is Donald Trump's close embrace of this guy. And I point out in the book, I don't know the reason that Donald Trump did all these things and others, but the only logical explanation for it is he was demonstrating to Joe Exelbaum, I'm your loyal friend. You don't need to worry about me. You can totally trust me, just as he keeps saying that to Putin. And what do we? And, and the logical question to ask is, Donald, did you invest in Joe Wexelbaum's drug deals? 
given that your father was known to have engaged in all sorts of illegal practices, given that you've been known to cheat people left and right, cheat the government, file documents in, on the same matter in two different forms that have different amounts of money, it's a perfectly reasonable question to ask, were you investing in Joseph Wexelbaum's cocaine business? I think it's a great question. I want to know the answer. You all need to get this book. David, thank you. David has written this great book, The Making of Donald Trump. It's on the New York Times bestseller list. You can get it at Amazon.com. Go to his website, davidkjohnston.com, D-A-V-I-D-C-A-Y-J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N. And on Twitter, follow him at David K-J. Once again, that's C-A-Y. Uh, by the way, one of the parts of the book that you will really find interesting is how rich people like Donald Trump don't pay tax. Um, David's written a great article about it. What do you call Donald Trump and other rich people don't pay tax? Here's a hint. H-I-N-T. The IRS even has a name for them. High income, no tax. And that's Donald Trump.